0: topic today out of the book of Daniel. It's a very, very important topic. It's out of Daniel chapter 8 and Daniel chapter 9. It's really the pinnacle chapter in this whole book, and in a lot of ways the pinnacle chapter for the whole entire Bible, as we'll see here in another few minutes. Now, uh, Daniel chapter 8, part 1, we already did, and Daniel chapter 9, part 1, we already did in other sermons, and you can catch that on shalomadventure.com and, and get uh, caught up with that if you missed any of that. Now, uh, a little review of Daniel chapter 2, Daniel chapter 7, and the first part of Daniel chapter 8. And if you missed those, also on shalomadventure.com, there's actually two sermons out of Daniel chapter 7. So Daniel chapter 2 was the statue, Daniel chapter 7 was the, the four beasts, the five sections, and then Daniel chapter 8 with the, the goat and the ram, or rather the ram and the goat and the little horn, and what they all represented And again, I won't take the time now to go into all that, but uh, it's very important to get that grasp as we go into chapter 8 and 9, and especially as we prepare for 10, 11, and 12, which is the conclusion of the book of Daniel that brings us right through to our day. So all the chapters so far have been pinnacling here, but then leading to the conclusion which brings us to this day. Each of these chapters have been... uh, Uh, reviewing and expanding on each other, and we get to the full expansion, which will bring us right to the days that we're living in right now, and everything's been moving us right along that way. And so, as we move into chapter 8, or uh, the portion here in chapter 8, verse 10, the little horn exalted himself as high as the prince of hosts, and by him the daily was taken away, and the prince of his sanctuary was cast down. He cast truth down to the ground. He did all of this, and he prospered. Now this word here, little horn, the little horn that's in Daniel chapter 8, matches perfectly up with, the, with Daniel chapter 7, where it says a little horn. A little horn comes out of that fourth piece power. That little horn comes up among the ten horns and that little horn, when it comes up, three of those little horns get, uh, big horns get knocked out, and that little horn then takes over and then becomes the, the last part of that chapter. And so little horn, little horns, the same power being discussed here. Uh, again, as we discussed when we did the first part of Daniel chapter eight, a lot of groups go off on a tangent, and they don't stay with Daniel chapter two, they don't stay with Daniel chapter seven, they go off there and they, they refer to Greece, And it just messes up the rest of the understanding of the book of Daniel and the rest of Revelation. And we'll see that again a little bit more tonight. So he exalts himself as high as the prince of hosts. Did uh, pagan Rome do that? Sure. Who's the prince of hosts? The Messiah, the prince of peace. They exalted themselves. They persecuted him, had him crucified. They they, uh, called the Caesars, the gods. You had to worship Caesar and worship no one but Caesar. We have no god but Caesar. The, and by him, the daily. What was the daily in reference to? Daily, and then it goes on about the sanctuary. What was the daily in the Bible? What did the daily have to do with? The daily sacrifices. The daily sacrifices in the sanctuary, in the temple. And what was the purpose of the daily sacrifices? Forgiveness of sins. To get forgiveness of sins, to get redemption. Correct. And so the, the daily sacrifice. So he takes away the sacrifices. The, the, the daily was taken away. When the sanctuary was taken away, Rome... Destroyed the temple, cast the stones down as Yeshua prophesied. Now one stone would remain upon another, cast it off the Temple Mount, and still laying there uh, at, the, at the base of the Temple Mount, the Western Wall, still today. Some of them still have been left there and remaining. They haven't been removed. And so exactly as prophesied, but also in the second stage of Rome, the Christianized Rome, the, the Roman Christianity has done the same thing. Exalt itself to the Prince of the Host claiming the prerogatives of God, claiming to be God's representative here on, Go- on earth, claiming infallibility, uh, taking away the daily. Again, the daily had to do with the forgiveness of sins. We received forgiveness of sins when the sanctuary was there through the blood of the lambs that were brought into the sanctuary. But we don't sacrifice lambs anymore because the Messiah has come and he has become our sacrifice for us. His blood has cleansed us and so we claim the blood of Yeshua for the forgiveness of sins. But what do they do? They say, no, we don't necessarily need that. You just go to a human being, you go to a leader, you go to a priest, and you confess your sins there, and then you say some prayers over some beads, or you do some penances, and so the daily, the need of the daily forgiveness, the, the, the redemption that is there through the blood of Messiah has been replaced with man-made works. Casting down the sanctuary, to his sanctuary to the ground. Again, replacing the sanctuary. And we'll see in a moment which sanctuary is really being referred to, but they've made a sanctuary here on earth. By again, having an earthly priesthood, by having um, a host here on earth, by having an ark for the host, by having uh, uh, labor and candles and all the whole thing. The whole setup is a replacement for the sanctuary to make a sanctuary here on earth. But which sanctuary have they cast down? This mentions that the casting down of this sanctuary... Well, there are several sanctuaries mentioned in the Bible. Moses, God told Moses to build a sanctuary. Solomon built a sanctuary. Ezra and Nehemiah built a sanctuary, built a temple. Herod remodeled the temple. And we have Yeshua saying that his body represented the temple. Destroy this temple, and in three days, it'll be raised up. The Bible mentions our bodies. Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Raw HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit? Uh, he calls us a body, a body of believers, a group of believers that we are God's temple, fit stones built up with Yeshua as the chief cornerstone, built up as his temple. And then it refers to a heavenly temple. And that's what has been cast down. Heavenly temple in the book of Revelation, verse 19, says the temple of God was opened in heaven. And the Ark of His Covenant was seen in the temple. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1. The main point is this. The whole main point of the book of Hebrews, everything leading up to this chapter 8, verse 1, and really most of it after it. The main point is this. We have a Kohingadol in heaven, a minister in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle which the Lord pitched and not man. So where is Yeshua ministering now? He's ministering, as our Kohen Gadol, the high priest, in the heavenly sanctuary, in the heavenly tabernacle. And as it says there in Revelation, the temple of God was opened in heaven, and the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple. When is the only time when the ark of the covenant was seen by anyone in the earthly sanctuary? On Yom Kippur, exactly. On Yom Kippur, the only time of the year, on the Day of Atonement. And so as we're describing Yom Kippur here in Revelation. And that parallels this chapter that we're going to be looking at today. Because in Daniel chapter 8, we saw in Daniel chapter 7, there's all these beasts. In Daniel chapter 8 was a ram, a goat, and a horn. Those are mentioned Regarding Yom Kippur, that's in Leviticus chapter 16. A ram sacrifice, a goat sacrifice, a goat for the Lord, and a goat for Zazel, and uh, two goats, and again, a ram sacrifice. And then at the end of Yom Kippur, we blow a shofar, the last trump, that, show that the day is done and, and, and finished. So this sanctuary, this day of atonement, being replaced with an earthly tabernacle. So cast down of, of the heavenly truths. Continues in in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11. The Messiah entered the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, and it was necessary for the heavens to be cleansed with better sacrifices. So he's talking about a cleansing of a temple. Which temple, which tabernacle is he talking about being cleansed? The heavenly one, the heavens, the one in the heavens, the better tabernacle, the greater tabernacle, the more perfect tabernacle, needed to be cleansed with better sacrifices. What sacrifices were used here on earth? Every every day you had the daily sacrifice, and every day, morning and evening, sacrifices were offered for the forgiveness of sins. Just kind of a blanket covering of all unknown sins. And if you knew of a sin, and you specifically committed a sin, you brought your own lamb to, to the sanctuary, you confessed your sin over the lamb, you placed your hands upon it, and your sins symbolically transferred from you to the lamb. Then you're the one who had to kill that lamb, and his blood was poured around the altar, and he was burned on the altar, and thus transferring, symbolically transferring the sins from the lamb to the sanctuary, defiling the sanctuary all year, year long. But then on Yom Kippur... The temple, the sanctuary, the tabernacle is cleansed by that blood of that goat, the Lord's goat, that is brought that day and only day within the veil, within the Holy of Holies, upon and sprinkled seven times upon the Ark of the Covenant. And that's what's being referred to here. This cleansing, the heavenly temple, needs to be cleansed. That's again, Yom Kippur terminology. Again, right out of Leviticus chapter 16. So already we've seen three places here, Yom Kippur coming in, through the, through the type of animals that are used in Hebrew, uh, Roman, uh, Daniel chapter 8, uh, from what was mentioned there in Hebrews, and in Revelation, all three of these talking about this Yom Kippur, this Ark of the Covenant being seen, the cleansing of the tabernacle, and the type of animals that were used. So that's the theme here, and that's very crucial to get an understanding of that we don't understand the sanctuary, we don't understand the Yom Kippur, we will not properly understand what Yeshua is doing for us in this heavenly tabernacle, and we won't understand last day events. Daniel chapter 8, verse 25, it says, talking about this little horn power, but he shall be broken without human means. Just like the statue in Daniel chapter 2, a stone cut out of the earth, without human hands, that crushes the statue and destroys the entire statue and builds a brand new, a full new entire mountain that takes over the earth, representing God's eternal kingdom that shall never pass away. So same here, Daniel chapter 8. This little horn power gets broken and destroyed, but without human hands. God puts an end to it. In Daniel chapter 7, verse 26, also paralleling Daniel 2 and Daniel 8, in Daniel 7, verse 26, the court will sit and his, referring to the little horn, the little horn of Daniel 7, which is the same as the little horn of Daniel 8, his dominion will be taken away and be destroyed and abolished for all time. Just like Daniel 2, the statue being crushed, just like Daniel 8, the little horn being broken, here also is destroyed and abolished for all time. Now here it also mentions that the court will sit. When does court sit? What's the purpose of a court sitting? Here in our country, what is the purpose of a court sitting? Okay, judgment. Judgment is taking place. This represents God's judgment. And that's what Yom Kippur is about. The separating of the sheep and the goats. The judgment time. So God's judgment is seated. So we have now in Daniel chapter 7, same type of terminology of a judgment taking place. We say in, in the high holy days, we say on Rosh Hashanah uh, that, the, that the books are open and God's judging. And we have 10 days, the 10 days of awe to get our lives right before God. Because then on On uh, Yom Kippur, the books are closed and sealed. So God's judgment time. So the court is seated. And is that judgment, that court, that takes away its power? Daniel chapter 7, still verse 9. The Ancient of Days was seated, 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were opened. Again, the books are opened. Books are opened on Rosh Hashanah, closed and sealed at the end of Yom Kippur, at the last shofar, the last trump that is sounded. And so again, same type of terminology, terminology in in Revelation, in Hebrews, and in Daniel chapter 7, and in Daniel chapter 8. This ultimate Yom Kippur, this heavenly Yom Kippur that takes place. Because everything on earth, our earthly sanctuary, was all a representation of God's heavenly plan for this earth. And for us, so God has books in heaven where our names are being written. That would be sealed in God's book. That's what we say it at uh, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur: Loshana tova Tikatevu. May you be inscribed in God's book for a good year, for a good life. So, being the books are opened, they're in the heavenly books. Chapter seven, still Daniel seven, verse thirteen: Behold, one like the son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. What's that sound like? What's he describing? The Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. What does that sound like? Sounds like Revelation, right? The Lord coming with the clouds, coming with all his clouds, coming with all the angels. But we need to keep reading the same verse. It says, And he came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. So this is not the description of him coming to the earth with all the angels and coming on the clouds. This is a different coming. This is where he's coming. Behold, the Son of Man is coming with the clouds of heaven, and he came to the Ancient of Days. What was the Ancient of Days doing? We just read it. He had 10,000, 10, 10,000s around him, and books are open, and he is seated on his throne, and the court is opened. And so Yeshua has to come as our Advocate, he comes and stands there in our behalf, pleading his blood, not seven drops of blood of a, of a goat of the, of the Lord's goat, but he brings his own blood and presents it in our behalf, interceding as our advocate before us. And so he comes to the courtroom with all the evidence there, the, the 10,000 times 10,000 of heavenly angels there as witnesses, and the books being opened and our records being shown before him. And Satan, they're accusing us. Whether physically, li- literally, or, or just in his symbolic of what he's tempted us to do. And yet Yeshua steps in. Yeshua comes in. My blood has paid it all for them. Amen. We need to, again, understand this and understand his role in our behalf. Now Daniel chapter 8, verse 13. I heard a holy one speaking. How long will the vision be concerning the daily sacrifices and the th- and the transgression of desolation, the giving of both the sanctuary and the host to be trampled underfoot. How long will this continue? How long will these main things of this vision, this is the end of chapter 8, after the ram and after the he-goat and after the little horn, this or during this little horn, how long will this continue? How long will the little horn continue in its power? How long will this be this daily sacrifices and transgression of desolation and the sanctuary to be trampled underfoot? Two main things he's wanting to know here. The daily sacrifices. How long before we get to go and have the daily sacrifices in the temple again? For forgiveness of sins. And the tabernacle, the sanctuary, to be trampled underfoot. Where we can have forgiveness through the sacrifices and the sanctuary. Two main things. And we're going to see that come up again here. Chapter 8, verse 14, Gabriel said to me, For 2,300 days, then the sanctuary shall be cleansed. Sanctuary being cleansed, what type of terminology is that again? That's Yom Kippur terminology. Just like we just saw in Hebrews, referring to the heavenly tabernacle, Here in Daniel chapter 8 uses the same wording as in Leviticus 16, the tabernacle being cleansed, the sanctuary being cleansed. So He says 2,300 years, then the ultimate Yom Kippur will take place. Then the cleansing of the sanctuary will take place. First chapter, still Daniel 8, verse 15. I was seeking the meaning, and a man's voice called... Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. God wants him to understand the vision. And this word understand here is used in this chapter and the next chapter about six or seven times. He's wanting to know the meaning. He's seeking the meaning. He wants to understand. God says, Gabriel, make him understand. Now the word Gabriel, the name Gabriel is only used four times in the Bible. Here, and then the birth of Messiah, to announce the birth of the Messiah to the shepherds. Or to, I think to Mary, right? So, but whatever, Luke chapter 1, I think it is. Announcing the birth of the Messiah. And so here, regarding again this very important part and that, and really it parallels, because he's pointing us to the Messiah in both cases. Chapter 8, verse 17, he said to me, Understand, son of man, that the vision refers to the time of the end. So again, just like Daniel 2, just like Daniel 7, Daniel chapter 8 takes us all the way to the time of the end. Not the Antioch Epiphanes, not getting stuck in Greece somewhere, but it takes us all the way to the end of time, just like all the books of, all the chap- prophecy cha- prophetic chapters of Daniel, just like all the prophetic portions of Revelation taking us from the time of the prophet to the end of time. And that is what he's told. Understand, it refers to the end of time. Daniel chapter 8, verse 26. The vision of the evening and mornings is true. It refers to many days in the future. I fainted and was sick for days. I was astonished by the vision and no one understood it. Obviously, he shared it with some other people, and no one could understand it. No one could understand. Now, he he lays out very clearly who the ram is. That's Medo-Persia, tells us there. He lays out who the he-goat is in Daniel chapter 8. That's Greece, he tells us there. It's this portion of this, how long? How long will this little horn power continue? How long will God's sanctuary be cast down? How long will the daily be trampled underfoot? How long before... We can receive forgiveness of sins and have our sanctuary again. Daniel again is writing this and experiencing this while he's in Babylon and the temple's been destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. And so he's wanting it to be reinstated. And he's praying, he's not understanding this. He's seeking the meaning and he's told it's not going to be till the end of time. And he can't handle it. It's so overwhelming he faints. It just knocks him out. God says, make him understand. Gabriel, make him understand. And he's trying to understand, and it's just too overwhelming, and he faints. He can't handle it. And it says, the vision of the evenings and mornings. That's when the sacrifices were given morning and evening sacrifices. That's the daily. But it's also referring to the, the vision of the 2,300 days, morning and evenings. All again has to do with sanctuary terminology. And that's where Daniel chapter 8 ends. And that's where most people leave it. They say, well, it ends, even though he said, make them understand, make them understand. They say, we don't have to understand. And they totally skip over it. They don't care. They end in Greece, and that's all they care about. Antiochus Epiphanes, and they leave it there. And then maybe he's symbolic of some future thing. And they just leave it there. But God doesn't leave it there. Daniel chapter 9. Now, we're going to be looking at verses 9, chapter... Chapter 9 and chapter 8, back and forth. So the ones in chapter 8 have a brown background to them. And if you're colorblind, then then Daniel's looking in that direction, okay? And 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 Daniel chapter 9 is going to have like this bluish background and Daniel's going to be looking in the other direction, okay? Because we're going to go back and forth, so if that's helpful for you. So in Daniel chapter 9, verse 20, I was praying, confessing my sin and the sins of Israel and praying for the holy mountain of God. So Daniel finally gets over his fainting, and he finally gets over asking everyone, do you understand it? And he says, I'm gonna ask God. And so he starts praying, and he's praying and praying earnestly, the whole first portion of this chapter. And again, we did a whole sermon on that, and again, you can see that on shalomadventure.com. But we come to this point in verse 20, he says, I'm praying, I was praying, and what's the two things he's praying about? He's confessing his sins and the sins of Israel. So what is he confessing his sins? What is he wanting? We confess sins, what are we wanting? Forgiveness of sins. So he's praying for forgiveness of sins and for the holy mountain of God. What is he referring to the holy mountain of God? What's the holy mountain of God? Jerusalem. Zion, right, exactly. What in particular about Jerusalem? His house, his mother's house, his grandmother's house? What in particular about Jerusalem is he praying about? The temple. He's wanting the temple to be rebuilt. The same type of things that that, uh, God said, make this man understand about the daily and about the tabernacle. And so he's praying about the forgiveness of sins and the tabernacle and about Jerusalem. Those are the main two things in the thrust of his prayer. How can we receive forgiveness of sins? And when is God's sanctuary going to be established and cleansed? That's what he wants to know. Verse 21. Verse 21. Chapter 9 still. While I was praying, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision, reached me about the time of the evening offering. Now again, when Daniel's praying this, there is no evening offering. There is no temple. And he's been there almost 70 years. The temple has been removed about 70 years ago, and he's still clocking time by the evening sacrifice. And so Gabriel shows up and says, oh, it's about the time of the evening sacrifice. That's no coincidence, that's when Gabriel shows up. It wasn't that he just finished his prayer at that point and said, "Amen, and that's when Gabriel shows up. I sure he would have kept praying, but Gabriel shows up right about that time to, again, connect him with the sanctuary. That's the thrust here. God's sanctuary. I was praying in the man Gabriel. What man Gabriel? How's he know a guy named Gabriel? Where's Gabriel from? Daniel chapter eight. That's where he's first mentioned, then he's mentioned a second time here, and then, again, two more times, I think it's Luke chapter 1. And that's it. So the man Gabriel, this connects Daniel chapter 9 with Daniel chapter 8. They're connected. They can't be separated. These two chapters, just like, again, all the chapters of Daniel are all chains linked together. They all go in sequence together. They all build on each other. So the man Gabriel whom I had seen in the vision. What vision? There's no vision so far mentioned in Daniel chapter 9. What vision is he talking about? The one in chapter 8. Daniel chapter 8. There's a whole big vision in Daniel chapter 8. And that's what he's referring to. The the man Gabriel that I had seen in the vision. So he's automatically thinking back to Daniel chapter 8. He's already thinking back to that vision. It's already reminded him. He sees the connection right away. And that's what he's been praying about. And what does Gabriel say to him? And he said, "Oh, Daniel, I have come to give you understanding. You are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision." You're getting the point. God wants us to understand the vision. Right? It's important for us to understand this vision. Which vision? Daniel chapter eight, and especially the part that was not plainly revealed. That's what God wants us to understand. Again, that's what most people just don't even consider. But God wants us to understand. And by God's grace, hopefully by tonight, by the Lord's power, we will understand this vision and understand it for us. Why? Because you are greatly beloved. Just like Gabriel said that to Daniel. You are greatly beloved. And God wants you to understand this vision. This is an important vision. This is an important part. This is an important part of Daniel. It's a pinnacle part. He wants us to understand it because he loves us. He loves Daniel. And he loves you just as much as he loved Daniel. And he wants us to understand this. What's he want us to understand? Daniel chapter 8, verse 14. The part that wasn't understood. He said to me, for 2,300 days, then the sanctuary shall be cleansed. Well, how long is 2,300 days? Now in the Bible, and we saw this when we did Daniel chapter 7, a little review here, when we were, came up out of the wilderness, and or out of the Egypt, and we're in the wilderness, and received the Ten Commandments, and then God brought us to the Jordan River, and we came to the Jordan River, and Moses sends over 12 spies into the land of Canaan, one from each tribe, and they're there for 40 days. And they come back, and two give a good report, Caleb and Joshua. They say, God's given us, it's a great land, let's go take it. And the other ten say, oh, no, 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 we can't take it. There's giants in the land, and they'll beat us up. And besides, there's not enough food hardly there for us. Well, what are the giants eating then? How'd they become giants if there's no food? And then what are these big grapes that you brought back? And so they contradict themselves, but they're just afraid, and they'll come up with any excuse to keep us from going in. And the majority of people believe the ten reports, and they say, no, we're not going in. And then what does God say? Numbers chapter 14, Verse 33. Your children shall wander in the wilderness for 40 years. According to the number of days in which you searched out the land, even 40 days, each day for a year, you will bear your iniquities for 40 years. So they searched out the land for 40 days, you're going to have to wander for 40 years. A day for each, represents each year. And Ezekiel has a similar type of prophecy. God tells him to lay on his side for so many days, and it's going to represent so many years, right? So is a biblical principle on prophecy, the day equaling a year. So so let's look at our chart here. So each day for a year, 2,300 days is symbolic of 2,300 years. Now you can understand why Daniel passed out. Now you can understand why you fainted. He's thinking, we're going to go back pretty soon. It's been almost 70 years. We're going to go back. We're going to have our temple. We're going to have worship again. We're going to have forgiveness of sins. And God says, 2,300 days. Now, literally, that's just a few years. And you think, well, just a few more years, he can make it. And they apply it to Antiochus Epiphanes, which doesn't fit at all. But it doesn't prosper or anything like it says in that chapter. Gets beaten up by a bunch of Maccabees. Uh, farmers, Jewish farmers. Uh, But with 2,300 years, he can't understand that. And he can't handle it. And he faints. So we have this timeline, 2,300 years, which will take us to the cleansing of the sanctuary, which will take us to the ultimate Yom Kippur, the cleansing of the heavenly sanctuary in preparation for the eternal Sukkot, God's coming. And dwelling in booths with him. So when does this start and when does this end? Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. Gabriel explains to him, 70 weeks are cut off. 70 weeks are cut off of what? Right? If I say I cut it off, cut what off? Right? If I say I cut the head off, you say cut the head off of what? Right? You got to be off of something. So, if I cut the head off a pineapple, right, and take the pineapple, I cut it off a pineapple, right? So, you, you cut it off, right? So, it has to be cut off of something, right? So, 70 weeks are cut off. What are they cut off of? Daniel chapter 8, cut off off the 2,300 years. So he's going to now break it down for Daniel because he couldn't handle it in one big chunk. So I'm going to break it down for you, make it simpler, you know, like a road map. I'm giving you directions to my house. I'll give you some, some uh, landmarks along the way. You know, you're going to go past 7 seven Elevens and then you're going to take a right-hand turn, right? So he's going to break it down for us. So cutting off from that 2,300 will be 70 weeks for your people and for your holy city to finish transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. And those are all great things. And this is, again, this is the pinnacle here. This is where the whole entire Bible is coming together. This is so important that this is what's going to happen. Seventy weeks are given to do all these things to make a finish of transgressions. Isn't that what we want? Why are we tired of transgressions already? And we want it finished already? To make an end of sins? Isn't that what we're longing for? Lord, get sin out of my life. I want an ending of sin to make reconciliation. Reconciling us back to God. That's what we want. We need to be reconciled. We want unity with God. Oneness with God. Atonement with God. And to bring in everlasting righteousness. Remember this, Horrible stuff here. We want everlasting righteousness. We want everlasting life. We want God's kingdom forever and ever. And to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Now many interpret this, 70 weeks are given to your people, that this was for the Jews to do. Daniel was a Jew, so given to your people. This is what the Jews have to do and you guys have 70 weeks to do it in. And if you don't do it, you'll be cut off, you'll be replaced. And did the Jews do that? Did Israel do that? All that stuff? No. So replacement theologists say, see, they need to be replaced. And what do they get replaced with? They say, we replace it with the church. And the church has had 2,000 years to do that. and Has the church done all this? No. No. How come Israel only gets 70 weeks and and, and Christianity gets 2,000 years and Christianity is able to still be around in in their theology and to be so great? And they haven't done any of these things. Can you do these things? That's right, we can't. So who is this talking about? Who's going to do all these things? The Messiah Yeshua is going to do all these things, right? Seventy weeks are cut off for your people until the Messiah will come, until He will come. And He is the one who will make an end of transgressions. He is the one who will make an end of sins. He is the one who will make reconciliation between humanity and the Heavenly Father. He is the one who will bring in everlasting righteousness. He is the one who will seal the vision Fulfill the whole vision. He is the one who will seal the prophecy and he is the one who will anoint the most holy. He is the one and he has come and he has done it. So it points to him. Stop putting burdens on us that we got to do this or, or condemning us for not doing this. This is what God has done. Stop trying to do it in our own works. But it is what he has done. And don't expect us to do what he has done. That is what he is for. And he has completed it. Praise God. And because of him, we can be set free from sins. Because of him, we can be reconciled with the Father and be one with heaven again. Because of him, we can have everlasting life. Because of him, we can be anointed with the Holy Spirit. Because of him, heaven is anointed and earth is anointed. Because of him, God's Spirit is poured out. Because of him, transgressions are removed and blotted out of the records once and for all. So, how long is 70 weeks? How many days are in a week? Seven days in a week. I'll help you with the hard ones. All right, so what's seven times 70? 490. 490 days in a day for a year. How long is 490 days? 490 years. Okay, so 490 years are cut off the, the 2,300 years. So it's going to be 490 years until the Messiah comes, right? Until this ending of all this stuff. So we have our timeline, our 2,300, then we got our... 490 years, okay? we still don't know when it starts until we get to verse 25, Daniel 9, verse 25. Know and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem. So when we have that word from, right, that's our starting point, right? If you're going from your house to my house, you're starting at your house, right? That's the from, right? And so know and understand That from, now we're getting our starting point, from the the command to restore and build Jerusalem. Well, if we can figure out and find when the command to restore and build Jerusalem took place, then we know when to start the starting date. Right? So where do we go to find that out? We Google it, of course, right? No! No. Where do we go? We go to the Bible, right? We go to the Bible, and the Bible gives us that very command. In Ezra chapter 7, verses 11 through 26. That's a big, long portion. That's a good portion of a chapter. And uh, for anything in the Bible to have that many verses, that's a lot. And so we have the whole entire decree written by Artaxerxes, the king of Persia, who wrote the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. Now, there are three decrees. Cyrus gives one, Darius gives one. Then Artaxerxes comes along and caps them all off with a with a total one that does the whole thing of restoring and rebuilding Jerusalem. So that becomes the one that we start counting our date from, and we know when that was. It was 457 B.C.E. So we have our starting point now. We have the command to restore and build Jerusalem 457 BC. And so now we can start on our track and we can turn on our GPS and it'll take us to grandma's house, okay? <laughs> chapter 9, Daniel chapter 9 verse 25. No one understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the prince there shall be 7 weeks and 62 weeks. The streets shall be built again and the wall, even in troublesome times. Okay, so we see two aspects here, right? You got a color coded there. You got the yellow part and the white part. Top part and the bottom part. Okay, now these next three verses, we're going to see this back and forth between these two sections. We're going to have yellow, white, yellow, white, yellow, white. And the first section has to do what were the two things that Daniel was praying about? Forgiveness of sins and the temple. And that's what these two parts are about. That's what Gabriel came to give him understanding regarding the daily, which gives us forgiveness of sins, and the sanctuary being trampled underfoot. It's two aspects. So the first part has to do with how to get forgiveness of sins, and how do we get forgiveness of sins? Through Messiah the Prince. So the first part has to do with the Messiah the Prince, Yeshua HaMashiach, and the second part has to do with the rebuilding of the the temple, the temple in general. And so, no no, and therefore going forth from the command to restore and build Jerusalem until the Messiah, the Prince, when the Messiah, the Prince will come and he will put an end to transgression, put an end to sin, to bring reconciliation for iniquity, to seal the prophecy and to anoint the most holy. So we have this time period and then the Messiah will come and he will do those things. And it will take then, we have another division, and there shall be seven weeks and sixty-two weeks. So that's dividing that seventy weeks into some more divisions, giving us some more landmarks along the way. All right, so you're going to pass a big Walmart and, you know, various things, things. So, so landmarks along the way, giving us some more landmarks. So we don't get lost, so that we know we're on the right road, we know we're on the right track. That's the description to get us to forgiveness of sins. That after the seven weeks and sixty-two weeks, the Messiah, the Prince, will come. But then the second part, the white part, the streets shall be rebuilt, shall be built again, and the wall, even in troublesome times. Did that happen? Was the streets of Jerusalem built? Were the walls built? And in troublesome times, how do we know? The Bible says so. In the book of Nehemiah, it talks about the troubles. They had the wall built. They had people standing there with a, with a trawl in one hand and a weapon in another hand all day and all night guarding the city. Troublesome di- times. Shabbat or whatever the guy's name was. is giving them problems in the wall. And the constant problems. But it got rebuilt. It happened. So here, Daniel's prophesying the book of Nehemiah. God's showing already what's going to happen with the temple. And not only what's going to happen with the rebuilding of the city and the temple, but how Satan is going to be opposing it. All three of these verses, all three of these white parts, is going to have that same thing having to do with the sanctuary and Satan's opposition to the sanctuary. There's a consistency. First part having to do with the Messiah. Second part having to do with the city sanctuary and Satan's opposition. Okay? So, I said seven weeks and 62 weeks. So seven weeks and 62 weeks is... Ninety-six weeks. How long is ninety-six weeks? How many days in a week? Sixty-nine weeks. Seven days in a week. Seven times ta- 60, times sixty-nine. Four hundred and eighty-three days. Day for every year. How long is four hundred and eighty-three days? Four hundred and eighty-three years, okay? So out of that four hundred and ninety, now we've got these two portions totaling four hundred and eighty-three years. And so our timeline, we have our starting date, and now we've got these two more segments, okay? Now, the first little segment there, the seven weeks, or 49 years, we don't yet have the evidence of what took place there, but it said that these streets would be rebuilt even in troublesome times. And so it is believed that that's when the temple was finally rebuilt, the city. It took 49 years for the temple and the city to be rebuilt. We don't have the archaeological evidence for that yet, um, so I won't put that in yet, but that's what a lot of people believe. But then we go to the rest of the time period, the end of the 483 years, and we come to 27 CE. What took place in 27 CE? The Messiah came. That's what he said would come. The Messiah came, and the Messiah was anointed to anoint the Most Holy. The Messiah was immersed in the Jordan River, and the Holy Spirit came down like a dove, landing upon him, anointing him. He's anointed, and when is he anointed? It's just about the time of the High Holy Days. We don't know exactly that. It doesn't tell us exactly the time, but figuring with the chronology of the uh, of the Gospel accounts, it's sometime right around the High Holy Days. And it might be right on the High Holy Days because it would not be uncommon. I mean, that's when a lot of, there were mikvahs all over uh, Jerusalem for people purifying in preparation for Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And at this... Pilgrim time, a lot of people will be coming down the Jordan River Valley from, from the north, from Galilee, and from all the other countries where they were dispersed uh, or traveled, and coming down that Jordan River Valley. And there's John immersing people, so it makes sense for them to come right past there, right at, right at that time. So, big crowds, people coming in preparation. They want to go up to the temple. Just you don't have to wait online at the mikvahs in Jerusalem. You can have it done right here in the Jordan River. And so, that's the time period. Again, Yom Kippur timing. He's anointed at that time, just as Daniel prophesied, just as God pointed out. We know who the Messiah is, in large part because of this prophecy, giving us the exact timing of when he would come. That's amazing. That's amazing. There's no way for all these prophecies, all that it describes about him and the timing to meet any other person in the entire universe. He is the Messiah. But this is just the beginning. We haven't even got to some some of the heart of it yet. We still have some time left in our time prophecy. The next verse, Daniel chapter 9, verse 26. After the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood. Until the end of the war, desolations are determined. So again, we have two parts. This time, the yellow part is the short part. The white part is the long part. The yellow part, talking about the Messiah and forgiveness of sins. After 62 weeks, so sometime after his immersion, the Messiah will be cut off. Was he cut off? Was his life cut off? Certainly was. But not for himself. Was he cut off for himself? Why was his life cut off? For us, for you and me. For the sins of the world, the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is cut off for our sake, not for His sake. Exactly as is described here. So sometime after this, He's going to be cut off. But then, back to about the temple. The people of the prince. What prince? Who is to come shall destroy the city, and the sanctuary. So again, it's talking about the city and the sanctuary and Satan's opposition to it. Right? So it's the prince of this world. He's going to destroy it, and at the end of it, it shall be a flood until the war and desolations are determined. So he desolates the entire city. Who did Satan use? Right? Satan uses it, Satan. but who did Satan use when he was in the Garden of Eden? Satan used a serpent. Who did Satan use to destroy the city and the sanctuary and make it desolate? Rome, in its pagan form. Pagan Rome. And that's exactly what it did. So again, two parts of this verse, two parts of this forgiveness of sins and the sanctuary and Satan's opposition to the sanctuary. So now how much time is left in this first 490 years? We've gone down our road 483 miles, 483 years. How much time is left before we get to 490 years? Seven Seven years. Very good. Very good. All right. Seven years left. And this is an important part. He, Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, the third of our three here, He shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. Who confirms the covenant? Who is the covenant confirmer? What is the covenant, right? It said that what was opened in heaven? The ark, it said in Revelation, the temple in heaven was opened and the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple. Right? So the covenant, God's covenant, God is the covenant keeper. Right? He confer- he's the one who confirms the covenant. What is a covenant? What's another word for covenant? promises. He confirms his promises with us. He confirms the coming of the Messiah. He confirms this vision. Confirms this prophecy. He confirms all the promises that the end of sin will come, that the transgression will be removed because he will be the sacrifice for us, blotting out our sins out of the record books of heaven. He will confirm his covenant with us. He will confirm his word with us. He will confirm his Torah with us. He will confirm his law with us by fully living it out and fully keeping it. He will confirm the covenant with many for one week. And that's the Messiah. He is the covenant keeper. He is the confirmer of the covenant. He is the promise keeper. He is the pinnacle of all. All the prophecies point to him. All the prophecies surround him. All the chapters of the Bible are about him. Focus on him. He is the main portion of it. So he will confirm the covenant. And how does he confirm the covenant? What did we read in the verse before? By doing what? After 62 weeks, he shall be cut off. Exactly. He confirms the covenant by being cut off. So now the second part. Okay, so sorry. So he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. So how long is one week? Seven days in a week. Seven days, one day for a year. Seven years. Okay, so that's the seven-year period of time. He's going to confirm this covenant within this seven-year period of time. So now we're going to focus in on this seven-year period of time. The end of seven years is 34 CE. He shall confirm the covenant with many for one week, and in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offerings. Right? You have 490 years to bring in, er, to end transgression, to end sin, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to... Uh, anoint the most holy to bring reconciliation, right? So he confirms the covenant with the midst for one week and he shall bring an end to the sacrifice and offering, right? Do we need to sacrifice animal sacrifices anymore? Do we need to kill lambs in the sanctuary anymore? No, no why not? Because Messiah has become the sacrifice for us, right? He has become our sacrifice. He is the Lamb of God, right? So he confirmed the covenant by being cut off as the Lamb of God. And so he has brought an end to the sacrifice and offering, the end for the need, right? The temple, curtain in the temple was rent in twain, right? Right at his death, right? Being the fulfillment. And then the second part, the white part. And on the wing of abominations shall be, Be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined and poured out on the desolate. On the wing of abomination shall be one that makes desolate. This is the abomination of desolation. That was mentioned in Daniel chapter 8. Again, another link to Daniel chapter 8, that the little horn power was going to be doing abomination of desolation. Here it's mentioned again in Daniel chapter 9. And Yeshua refers to it when you see the abomination of desolation. Again, not Antiochus Epiphany before Yeshua, but when you see in the future the abomination of desolation. That's when Rome comes in and again brings abomination into the temple, brings their, their idols into the temple, brings their standards into the temple, and destroy the temple and, and tear it to pieces and take all of it to Rome with them, all the go with them, and, and, and leave the stones there. Right? The, the abomination. But also then in the pagan form. I mean, in the, in the, in the next form of Rome, where it's an abomination, or the abominations of, of, uh, of, of replacing God's truth with replacing God's sacrifice, with replacing God's end of sacrifice and offerings by making man-made sacrifices. Again, that we have to do penances and that we have to do all these things to get forgiveness of sins and to go to a human being. This casting down of God's sanctuary and replacing it with abominable practices and claiming to have the power of God to make God come down into a piece of bread on earth or into a cracker on earth. And other heresies. This abomination. Again, directed at God's sanctuary, both the physical sanctuary when I was here, and against God's heavenly sanctuary. Satan's attack on the sanctuary. Again, the two parts of the prophecy. First part having to do with the Messiah, confirming the covenant in the middle of the week, being cut off, and bringing an end to the need for sacrifices. And then the sanctuary part of it, and the devil's opposition, and again using Rome in both its segments against it. So, it says in the midst of the week, what's the middle of a week? How long is the middle of a week? Three and a half days, right? So three and a half days, three and a half days, a day for every year. Three and a half days is three and a half years. What happened exactly three and a half years after his immersion? The Messiah was cut off. Exactly in the midst of the week. Exactly on time. And this is what Yeshua refers to time. He he says to Mary, my time is not at hand. My time is not yet. Why do you tell me to go and do this with the, 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 don't you know my time is not yet? He refers to it several different times in several different places. This is the time he's talking about. My time, my time is not yet here. My time to be cut off has not yet happened. That's what he's referring to. He's talking about the Daniel 9 time period, which points to Yeshua as the Messiah. It's this prophecy laid out this way that brought me to the Messiah, to accept him as the Messiah. No one else fits this. No one else was immersed in 27 AD. No one else was killed on 31 AD exactly on time like this prophecy. To anoint the most holy, to bring reconciliation, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation. He is the Messiah. Cut off right on time. Now, if that's where the prophecy ended, Would anyone be a believer on the day that he died, if that's where it ended? Did any of the believers believe the day he died? No, they were running for their lives. They were hiding in the upper room. They didn't believe the day he died. So there needs to be an extension beyond that. He needs to continue to confirm the covenant. What did he tell the disciples? Stay in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes upon you and be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and then in Judea and Samaria, and then to the other parts of the world. So he confirms the covenant still there in Jerusalem first. And he gives us how long? Three and a half years. What happens at the end of three and a half years? Oh, so, so again, the cutting off is the ultimate Passover. So this prophecy is taken us, it's going to take us to the ultimate Yom Kippur, but along the way, it takes us to the ultimate Passover. I am fully understanding the Passover and what the Passover pointed to and the Messiah who comes as the Lamb of God, his blood atoning for us, his blood sparing us, he becomes that ultimate Passover for us. And he dies when? What day of the year? On Passover. Right on time, fulfilling the prophecies perfectly. This is what all the feasts are pointing to. This is the purpose of them, to point us to the Messiah and understand what he did here on earth and understand what he's doing for us in heaven. So we have how much time left to get to the end of the 490 years? Three and a half years. So what happened in 34 CE? Three and a half years after he is, his, after he is cut off. Paul accepts the Messiah. He's on his road to Damascus, and a light shines upon him. He gets knocked off his horse. Why are you kicking against me, Paul? And Paul accepts the Messiah. Stephen witnessed to him. He saw Stephen. He heard Stephen. He sees the Messiah. And then what does he do with it? So there it is in Jerusalem for three and a half years primarily. And then Paul comes to the Lord. And what does Paul do? He takes it to the othermost parts of the world. Right? So it gets, the government gets confirmed there for one week through Yeshua physically for three and a half years and through the Holy Spirit for the next three and a half years, primarily in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria. And then it expands. Now, it's always been expanded, right? Jonah went to Nineveh. The gospel has always been an open invitation. But with a primarily focus moving outward, instead of bringing the Queen of Sheba to Jerusalem and to the temple, now the focus is going from Jerusalem out to the other most parts of the world, right? So different in focus. So now here at this point, So 490 years are given for the focus to still be there, for the Messiah to come, for the Messiah to put an end of sins, an end of transgression, to make reconciliation, to anoint the most holy, and then taking the gospel to the other most parts of the world. And that's exactly what happened, exactly on time. You think we're on the right road? You pass all the landmarks? And especially if there's specific landmarks, you're going to pass a, you know, a, a bright pink house with yellow polka dots, and you pass one of those, you know you're on the right road, right? You know, we're on the right road. Specific prophecies that have taken place. We know we're on the right road. And so, but we still need to get to the end. This is all still just landmarks. We haven't gotten to the, the heart of Daniel chapter 8, which was the ram and the goat representing the ultimate Yom Kippur. So we have our timeline all the way through. Each one pointing the Messiah right on time. Now, there are some that, well, let me go back. Okay, there are some that take this portion right here, this red McDonald's thing here, whatever, this, green, this one week, right? They take this and they cut it out of here and they put a gap here. And they throw it out over here somewhere. They're not sure where. And instead of applying it to the Messiah's death and making an end of transgression and sins and and the Holy Spirit being poured out and Saul coming to the Lord and taking the gospel to the world, instead of it applying there and to the Messiah, they apply it to the anti-Messiah. They take it from here, put it there, and apply it to the anti-Messiah. Now, who do you think would do that? The devil himself. That's exactly right. And who did the devil use? The devil used Rome. Exactly. Because all the, all, all the um, Protestant reformers were interpreting Daniel chapter 2, Daniel chapter 7, Daniel chapter 8, just like we've been doing. All of them. That's where we sh- I showed you the picture of that building in, in, um, in Germany with the, with the statues on it. All of them interpreted that way. And Rome didn't like that, and so Rome came up with a counter-reformation and said, no, 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 it can't point to us, it points to the anti-messiah, and so all of this, this gap takes place here, and all of it takes place way out here, we don't even know how long. it's going to be way out there. Now, can you take a portion of 490 years and not have it as part of the 490 years? Do you imagine you order something and, uh, some package and they say it's going to be delivered in three days. We guarantee you it'll be at your house in three days. You go, okay, you sure? Yeah, I'm going to have to take off work. I want to be there for it. Don't worry, it'll be there in three days. You say, okay, so you take off time from work and, and you're there and the two days have gone by and you're excited, you're going to get your package tomorrow and you get a call on the phone and they say, we're calling to confirm the delivery of your package on the third day. You say, great, I can't wait for it, I need this thing. And they say, but now there's there's a little problem here, and we're going to just put a little gap between day two and day three. So we're going to just stop time right now. We're going to stop counting, and I'll call you back. I don't know if it's going to be two weeks, two months, two years, 2,000 years. I don't know how long, but when I call you back, we'll start the time again. All right, and so then, then it will be the third day after that. So the day after I call you, we'll start counting then and it'll still be on the third day. You'll still get the package on th- the third day. It's been two days, we're going to ignore time, and when I call you, we'll start counting again and you'll get it on the third day. Is that okay? No. Yeah. You wouldn't go with that, would you? But that's exactly what they're teaching. Promising that it's all going to happen in this 490 years, and they say, no, it doesn't happen within the 490 years. We're going to take seven of those 490 years and we're going to throw it outside the package and throw it way into the future. We've stopped time, and we're going to start counting time again. And that's exactly what they do. And I'll show you. I just downloaded this. Just got it off the internet, put in Gap, and this is what showed up. Lots of other things too. But here they use the same starting date that we use. 457, same thing. They say it ended at the rebuilding of Jerusalem. So again, we'll agree with what probably happened. They go to 434 years, taking us to the end to the beginning of Yeshua's ministry, his immersion. Same thing, everything all the same. Until they get to that point. And then they put in a prophetic gap. And they say, it's a mystery that wasn't revealed to Daniel. And what God told Gabriel? Make him understand! (laughs) They say he didn't understand it. Even after all of that, he still didn't understand it. It's a mystery to Daniel. They put in a gap there. And then they have Yeshua being cut off, just kind of floating there. Nothing really about the prophecy has to do anything with him. It's in this gap period. It's not even mentioned in the prophecy. They just put it out there, just, just so it's out there. They got the date right, but it's not part of the prophecy, according to them. And they put in this gap. And then they don't even have the rest. They don't even have the rest of Daniel 8. They don't have the 2,300 years. They, 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 don't even, they ignored that. The main thing he said, make them understand, make them understand, make them understand. They say, we don't even have to worry about that. They just focus on, on the 490 years. And that's it and they put a gap in. And now really, their gap is much longer than that if, if it was done to scale, their gap would look more like this. Of not counting time. And then you get the seven years way apart from the rest of the 490 years. That's what's commonly taught today. And it goes back to derailing Daniel chapter eight and going to the Greeks with Antiochus Epiphany because all time period stops, forget about understanding Daniel 2, Daniel 7, Daniel as, as it's been, and because now we've got this gap here, and it messes up, certainly not going to understand Daniel 10, 11, and 12, and certainly not going to understand Revelation, because they throw this same gap into Revelation, and not going to understand it at all, and apply the week of the Messiah's life, death, burial, Resurrection, pouring out of the Holy Spirit, 3,000 immersed in a day, Paul coming to the Lord and taking the gospel to the world. They take that and they throw it away and apply it to the anti Messiah. Here's a picture, same type of thing Daniel chapter 2, the statue. Gold, and then Daniel chapter 7, lion, bear, leopard. They got the interpretation, the same like we do, same like the Protestant reformers, all the Protestant reformers had initially. And then they throw in a gap, a prophetic gap. Have you ever seen a statue that had a gap between one section and another? Would you buy a statue that had a gap between its feet and its legs? How could it stand? Do you remember in Daniel chapter 2 when Daniel's going down through the line and telling Nebuchadnezzar, in your vision, you had a head of gold and just, and then you got to the legs, and then there was this gap there. You remember that verse where it said there was a gap there? No, there's no gap there. It doesn't mention that in the book of Daniel, chapter 2, or anywhere else. In Daniel, chapter 9, did you see anywhere in Daniel, chapter 9, it's, they put a gap between the 69th week and the 70th week? No. No gap. But they throw a gap in there. They have the iron, the stone, the ten, and they have the same thing, the anti-Messiah. And then the coming of the Son of Man, the stone, destroying the The same thing. But they ignore who the anti-Messiah is because they say the anti-Messiah comes way out in the future. Beyond our time, again, it, it can't be anyone here on Earth now or in the near in the future because it's going to be way in the, fu- uh, in the past. I mean, it's going to be way in the future. So it can't be, don't stop, don't look for it here. Don't look at it in the past. Don't listen to what the Protestant reformers all said. Right? Do you know what Protestant means? What were they protesting? They were protesting. What were they protesting? Too high taxes? They were protesting the sins of Rome. Of Roman Christianity, but now they've joined with it, have taken the doctrine of, of Rome, and it's sided with Roman Christianity, majority. And again, if the timeline was, was accurate to proportion, this is what the statue would look like. You got uh, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, and then a big gap. And what kind of a statue looks like that? It's not in the Bible, it's not in the Bible. I have lots of people come on, oh, in the seven year, this year, the seven year, the seven year period, this is going to happen, this is going to happen, the seven year, it's going to start. Where's the seven year in the Bible, I ask them. Oh, I don't know. Where's it mentioned in the Bible? Revelation, I think. Where, where is it? Well, find it for me and bring it back. They can't find it. Some, some very few will say, I know it's in Daniel, Daniel chapter 9, and they'll point it out. I say, well, where does it say here that that's in the future? Where? How do you separate it from the rest of the 490 years? They go, oh, I'll get back with you. I never see them again. <laughs> you know? There's no gap mentioned there. If they take this seven year, throw in, the, and the whole th- yeah, books and videos and movies, all about this seven year that doesn't exist. There is no seven year in the future. The seven year was part of the 490 years. You can't separate. And it doesn't apply to the anti Messiah, it applies to the Messiah, the prince. Absolutely amazing trick here. I uh, won't we'll take time to. I'm gonna give another analogy. If you wanted to go from Canada to Florida, you gotta stay on the timeline, right? You gotta go all the way down. You don't jump some gap and end up in Chicago. Who wants to go to Chicago, right? No, we wanna go all the way to Florida, right? So you go all the way to Florida, so we're gonna continue and come all the way the rest of the prophecy. The part that he wants us to understand is great to come to the ultimate Passover. That is so important. Again, the pinnacle of the whole Bible, the pinnacle of the whole history of the the world, taking us from the beginning to everything before it pointed to it, everything after it points back to it. So crucial. That ultimate Passover. The Messiah cut off for us, making an end of sin and transgression. But we also need the ultimate Yom Kippur, because the prophecies take us to the last days. And rightly understanding this will make Daniel 10, 11, and 12 perfectly clear and show us our day today. We will be looking at newspaper clippings of like this year being fulfilled in Daniel chapter 10, 11, and 12. So we got this much time left in the prophecy and it takes us to 1844. What happened? What did he say was gonna happen? For 2000, Daniel chapter eight, verse 14, 14, For 2,300 days, then the sanctuary shall be cleansed. Which sanctuary? We looked at all these sanctuaries. Which sanctuary is God cleansing in these last days? Well, in one sense, he's cleansing our bodies, cleansing us. We had Daniel chapter 1, where Daniel says, I'm not going to eat the king's food. And a mighty thing has been happening in these last days where people are really concerned about taking care of God's temple, their body temple, both physically and spiritually. There's been a great revival in that. And our body believers, God's working on revivals in the earth. God's working among the people of God and the, primarily the heavenly temple, right? Because it said cleansing, when the cleansing, the temple of God was opened in heaven, the ark of his covenant was seen in the temple, Yom Kippur terminology, Hebrews 9 11, Messiah entered the greater tabernacle, not made with hands. It was necessary for the things in the heavens to be cleansed with better sacrifices. So God has to cleanse. That's what it's saying in Hebrew, right? What's he saying here in Hebrews 9? What's going to be cleansed? The Messiah entered the greater tabernacle, not made with hands. It was necessary for the things in the heavens to be cleansed with better sacrifices. What's the better sacrifice? Yeshua. Yeshua's blood. And what does he have to cleanse? The heavenly tabernacle. Why does the heavenly tabernacle need to be cleansed? Where do you think your sins have been going? Our sins symbolically have been confessed, just like in the earthly, going from us into the sanctuary on earth to be cleansed once a year on Yom Kippur. Our sins go up to heaven, and the heavenly sanctuary needs to be cleansed. Judgment has to sit and has to take place before he comes. A teacher, before she can give the final grade to the students, she has to grade the final exam. She can't give them their grade when they turn the test in, She has to grade the test and she has to add that test and and, and, and calculate it with all the rest of the tests they did all year and then she comes with the final, he comes with the final grade, correct? So the Messiah has to judge first so that he can come with his rewards. He has to go through the records, he has to go through the books of heaven and do the judgment. And not for his sake, he knows. But for who? Let's look. Daniel chapter 7 verse 13 Behold, like one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds, he came to the Ancient of Days. Verse 10 and ten thousand, a thousand thousands ministered to him, 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were opened. That's the cleansing of the sanctuary, cleansing of the books, going through the books. The books are open, and to see, so he can come with his rewards, and in order for him to come with his grade, in order for him to come with his reward. He has to first do the grading. And what are his rewards? The wages of sin is death, and the gift of God is eternal life through Yeshua the Messiah. So he comes with his rewards, but the judgment is for who here at this point? It's not for him, he already knows. 10,000 times 10,000, thousands of thousands ministered before him. Before the angels of heaven, before the beings in heaven allow us in there, do you think they have a right to know whether or not we're worthy to get in there? Do you think they have a right to know whether or not we're going to mess it up up there? Do you think they have a right to know whether we love God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind? Do you think they have a right to know that our sins have been purged and forgiven and made an end of and transgression and that reconciliation has taken place between us and God? I think so. This is called in the Bible, extreme vetting. You ever see that in the Bible? (laughs) That's a joke. It's not in the Bible. But nonetheless, it's extreme vetting. That's what God does. He's doing an extreme vetting here. And that's what's needed for the angels' sake, for their sake. And so he's going through this judgment period. And just like here on earth, when we have a judgment court sit, they they don't decide right there. you got a courtroom, you got appeals, you got a whole process that takes place before judgment is fully executed. It's the same in God's court. Man's not more just than God. This is a whole process. So the things leading up to this, we had the Lisbon. Yeshua said there'll be earthquakes. There was an earthquake, Lisbon earthquake in 1755. One of the biggest, most uh, widely felt earthquakes on record. From Spain, felt here in the United States. Down in Africa, almost every continent felt the earthquake. 1776, just a few years later, U.S. independence. And U.S. is very important. It comes into Bible prophecy. We're going to see the U.S. mentioned a little bit in Daniel chapter 10, 11, and 12. But then more so in Revelation. 1780, a dark day. And moon turning blood. There was a day here in a good portion of the United States where people were living, where the day was so dark they couldn't see their hand in front of their faces. No, couldn't see the sun, but yet that night they could see the moon. That's weird. Can't see the sun, but you can see the moon. And the moon, blood red. Just like Yeshua prophesied. Earthquake, dark day, blood moon taking place right in succession. You can read about that. Just type in dark day into some search engine. You'll see it's in history here in the United States. Very soon after that, 1798, the prophecy that we saw in Daniel chapter 7, papal Rome would be taken captive, that he'd be cut off, that his power would be cut off, that he'd receive a deadly wound. Very soon after that, the British and American Bible societies were established to take the gospel to the world, to print the Bible into lots of different languages around the world because the gospel has to go to all the world before the end shall come. Intense things were happening right around this time period. Then a meteor, Leonard meteor shower, one of the strongest ones. It happens every so often, but this was one of the strongest ones on record, where it looked like the stars of heaven are falling, and that's what Yeshua again said. Earthquake, day dark, blood moon, stars fall from heaven, and in fairly quick succession, within a generation, they're seeing these things taking place. 1840, the fall of the Ottoman Empire. Islam, Islam comes into play. Islam we'll see very strongly in Daniel chapter 10, 11, and 12, and in Revelation. Very important aspect here, Islam will come into play. Islam, this date, 1840, Bible timeline, Bible prophecy will take us right to 1840 in Revelation. Then the cleansing of the heavenly sanctuary, just a few years after that. And a few years after that, the first Zionist conference, the need, feeling the need to reestablish Jerusalem. Very soon after that, Mussolini signs a pact with the papacy a healing the wound, just like it said in Daniel chapter 7 would happen. And then very soon after that, Israel's independence. Israel becomes a nation again to be able to help wrap things up in these last days. So all these things, intense time period happening and things are getting intense again and we'll see that. All of this again is getting closer and closer and closer But Daniel chapter 10, 11, and 12 Take us beyond that to our very day. Revelation 14, verse 7, Fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come. Again, judgment has to precede his coming. The the time of his judgment, the hour of his judgment. And while that judgment is taking place, the next verse says, verse 7, And worship him who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and the springs of water. Who is it that made the heavens, the earth, and the sea and the springs of water? Yeshua, our Creator. So while in these last days, the denial of God as Creator is taking place, God's calling us back to this worship of Him as the Creator. And how does the Bible tell us to worship the Creator? The one who made the heavens, the earth, and the seas. wording just right out of the fourth commandment, the Sabbath day. And God's working a revival among that as well. Again, a a restoring of God's people, the body of believers, the temple of God. So things on earth are God's will on earth, Earth, this is in heaven, is taking place. What God is doing in heaven, we're seeing taking place on earth. As God's cleansing the heavenly tabernacle, it's taking place in God's body of believers, the earthly tabernacle as well. And so we've gone through Daniel 2, Daniel 7, Daniel 8, and we've come to the ultimate Passover and the ultimate young Kippur, which will lead us to Daniel chapter 10, 11, and 12, and then to Revelation. Let's pray together. Our Lord and our God, ruler of the universe, we praise your holy name and we thank you, Lord, for laying things out for us and wanting us to understand the day that we're living in, understand the things that you're doing in heaven for us, to understand what you did here on earth for us as the Lamb of God, as that ultimate Passover. And so, Lord, cleanse our hearts, cleanse our minds, cleanse our bodies, Cleanse our records in heaven. Reveal to us what's on our records. Begin the process in our lives. Search us and try us. Forgive us and cleanse us. And use us in taking your gospel to the ends of the earth. In Yeshua's holy name, amen.